0: All right, let me, uh, let, me, let me dive into today's text. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 23. And so uh, today's text is really a different one than we've uh, kind of been through before. It is a serious text. It is a somber text. And it can be a sad text uh, because of just the thing that we're dealing with. And so as we walk through this, if you're a writer in your Bible, uh, I'm going to encourage you to underline some words as we walk through Genesis chapter 23. Underline the word died or death. Or dead, or bury, or tombs. As you see that, uh, just just write through, just underline those, and you'll see that this is the overarching uh, uh, theme of what is going on here in Genesis chapter twenty-three. So let's dive in, and we will see what um, what the Lord has for us today. Uh, verse one: Sarah lived one hundred twenty-seven years. These were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Abraham rose up from from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, O Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat, me for, uh, hear and, and entreat for me Ephron, the son of, Z- son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Malpillai, which he owns, it is at the end of the field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron, the Hittite, answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city, No, my lord, hear me. I will give you the field, and I will give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I will give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the prince of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the the merchants. So the field of Ephron, and Mount, whatever that place is, (laughs) sorry, I've rushed on that all week, I just can't say it, it doesn't come out of my mouth right, which is the east of the Mamre, the field where the cave was in it, And all the trees that were in the field throughout the whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of of that place east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the other, the field and the cave that are in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place for the Hittites. Let's pray. God, we need you Holy Spirit, we need you today uh, to teach us something from your word. Help me as I preach. Help uh, help the people to hear. And God, I pray for many who are here that are outside the household of faith, that are still dead in their trespasses and sins. They'll see there's life found only in Jesus. Save someone today, God. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so as you are... um, uh, looking through as you might have underlined or circled or whatever you might have done in your Bible. You might not be someone that writes in your Bible the words died, death, dead, burying and tombs, you know how many times they appeared? Twenty-two times. Twenty-two times. In 20 verses, uh, these words are used, and so today's text is not one of those big epic stories. It's not one of those um, uh, big ones like we had last week with Abraham and and Isaac and the ram caught in the bush. Remember how dramatic that story was from last week, where Abraham takes his son out and he's like God has told him to go and sacrifice his son, and and Abraham is, is out and they take the wood and, and and he ties his son to the to the to the wood and he and he raises the nine and he's going to kill his only son and and an angel of the Lord says, "Stop, Abraham, stop, stop and and he doesn't kill his son because there's a ram caught in the bush and that's what he uses for his sacrifice And, and so from that we know that God will what? Provide the lamb. Yeah, God will provide the lamb. Three of you who got that. Uh, so God will provide the lamb. And so that was the big overarching theme that we got from last week. And, and we know that God provided the lamb, the lamb of God that was always pointing to Jesus. And so uh, today's text is a little bit different from that. Uh, today is a text that wraps itself around the one area of human life where there's no discrimination or there's no bias. Uh, it's just the harsh inescapable reality of death. It's something that we all have to deal with. It's something that we all have to face. And that's what our text deals with today. So let's look and see what it says again. Verse 1 says this, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the, day, these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So, Sarah dies in the very heart of the promised land. She leaves her husband, who she'd been married to for over 100 years. She leaves her son, uh, Isaac, who was probably at this point about 37 years old by putting all the calculations together. And uh, I mean, Sarah had been, say, Abraham's soulmate. Uh, and they were together. Uh, they were on this big epic journey together, and they had they'd gone through all these different things together, and they did it uh, walking along through many different phases. We're going to kind of cover some of those today. They left Ur, the land of the Chaldeans, from where they were from, and they journeyed down to Egypt, and they finally made it to this promised land that God had actually given them. and And Sarah was there for all the monumental events, all the things that had happened, and all the things that that we read about in Genesis. There was there was the covenant promises that that God had given to Abraham. This is the this is the covenant that I'm making between you and me. And Sarah was there for that. And Sarah was there for there for, uh, for the, uh, the defeat of the invading Kings. If you'll remember that from early in Genesis, where the, the Kings were defeated that were coming in and around and Abraham got to watch all this. And Sarah was there for that. And, uh, 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 Sarah was there when they, whenever Abraham dined with Melchizedek. Remember that one. Uh, uh, he was. Uh, he, she was there, and she had to prepare some food for them to eat. And uh, Sarah was there for the for the circumcision of Abraham. And she liked to forget that, but uh, she uh, she was there for that whole entire escapade. And uh, she was there when her name. She was renamed. Remember, her name was Sarai. Uh, and Abraham's name was Abram, and so she was there for the renaming of both of them. Uh, She was there for uh, Abraham whenever he was interceding on behalf of Sodom, whenever God said, I'm gonna destroy this city, and and, and, uh, Sarah was there to see her husband intercede on behalf of the city. And of course, she was there for, obviously, the birth of Isaac. And Sarah was there for the colossal failures as well, not just the big good things. Sarah was there in the bad times as well. Remember, uh, Abraham was passing her off as his sister. And, uh, and, and so uh, she was, he was sending her away with, with another man. And he didn't do it just once. How many times did he do it? twice. He sent her off. So I can imagine if they had that discussion around the first time, hey, just tell them you're my sister and, uh, and everything will be okay. And that didn't go very well. And then they find themselves in the same situation again. And Abraham comes up with this great idea. Hey, tell them you're my sister. And I can imagine that she went, are you nuts? But anyway, she probably didn't do that. But that's what I would think I would have done if I'd been in her shoes. But they went through it again, and that was a colossal failure as well. Uh, and then we, uh, the, uh, then you know, she was there for the auditioning of the earliest version of the Jerry Springer show when they participated in the Hagar affair, and uh, she was there for all those things. And so she was there for all the good things and all the bad things. But above it all, in her old age as promised she became the mother of laughter that's that's what isaac's name is son of promise isaac and through it all Sarah was a woman of faith. The prophet Isaiah included Sarah with Abraham as he urged the people in his day to have faith in God. When, when he mentioned Abraham, he also mentioned Sarah. And, and we see this also in um, Genesis chapter, uh, 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 I mean, the writer of Hebrews uh, says this in Hebrews eleven eleven. by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. If you know anything about uh, Hebrews chapter 11, that's the hall of faith. That's where it's just a recounting of the Old Testament and all the people who trusted God whenever he told them to do something kind of crazy. uh, They're listed there and going, by faith, these people responded to what it was that God had called them to do. And Sarah is listed there in chapter 11. And so Abraham and Sarah had been soulmates on this journey that they were traveling through, this life that they were living over, over 60 years had passed from the time that they had left Ur. And together they had learned uh, the true essence of what I believe is one of the, or, well, it is when the name of God. Uh, but they had learned this, that Jehovah Jireh, they knew that God in this way, Jehovah Jireh, what? The Lord will provide. They learned that about God. They learned that firsthand about God. They learned God's pattern of dealing with people is that God would test people and then God would provide. God would bring a test into their life and see how they responded and then God would provide. Who knows that here? I mean, some of you have been tested And you've seen God provide. Some of you are in the middle of tests now. And you're waiting for God to provide. Some of us know that very, very well. Now, this text today tells us that Abraham's bride, his beloved, his century-long soulmate, had died. And it was Job who said this, that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, it is God who gives us all we have. And it's God who takes those things away. But I will bless his name anyway. We already agreed that death is kind of the theme of this passage. And I'm sure Sarah's death was just a real numbing blow to Abraham. Uh, Verse two really tells us as much. Look what it says. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Looks what it says. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Um, I'm gonna say it, and it's not pastorally PC, but death sucks. I mean, it just does. And there's no other way Around it, it just stinks really bad. There, there's really no other way to express that. Uh, I mean, our refuge family started this kind of long, grueling uh, trek through death uh, for the number of our family members, uh, just a few years back. 2018, four people and then ref- in our small church, four people in 2018 uh, passed away. It was brutal. I mean, it was, it was a numb, it was like blow after blow after blow after blow in 2018. And, and even already this year, our dear friend, Alicia Clark, uh, succumbed to her battle with cancer. And then even yet again, we've got to grapple with yet another sudden death of one of our fellow brothers. Gabe Vanelli died this week. Uh, Leah and her family had his memorial service this Friday. And death is simply a, I it's a sad time. It doesn't matter if it's a young person or if it's somebody who's been in the faith for a long time. Death affects those around us. Uh, it, it affects us, especially if they're close to us, really greatly. It's heavy. I mean, it's almost like there's a weight that sits on your chest and you don't know what to do with it, you're not sure if you'll ever breathe again. It's confusing because we don't necessarily know how to deal with it when it comes our way. And it inevitably affects the survivors. Uh, Sometimes this sharp sting results in good and sometimes this sharp sting sends us down a bad path. We've all either seen it or we've all either experienced it at some point in our life. And it's the de- in the death of a loved one that brings to the forefront the thoughts about the eternal. When someone dies, we're, we always think about what happens to them. I mean, where are they? Have they moved on into their next life? We know they have, but where are they? The writer of Ecclesiastes wrote about this. This is what he said. Uh, it is better to go into the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. And so what that means is is that the living will experience this. When it says the living will lay it to heart it means the living are going to experience this. And, and, in, and what, what he's saying is that in feasting it's difficult to find God. In abundance, it's difficult to find God because we're so distracted with the things around us. We're indulging ourselves in many other things. But in mourning, the thoughts of God are ever-present. The thoughts of God and the thoughts of eternity are ever-present whenever we go into mourning because we're forced to think about our own mortality. I mean, this is the eventual outcome for all of us. Sarah's death in our text and the death of loved ones in each of our lives pierce us with the reality of our status on earth. We're temporary. And our status as followers of Jesus is that we are strangers and exiles in this country in which we live. This world is not our home. We're strangers here. We try to set our roots down, but the scripture says when we belong to Jesus, that we belong to another world and we're just passing through. Hebrews reminds us of this, look what it says in uh, 13, 14. For this world is not our permanent home, we are looking forward to a home yet to come. Our text tells us that Abraham had to make some funeral arrangements. It's not unlike we have to do today and we have to pick a place where our loved ones are going to be buried and some of you are doing that ahead of time and sometimes we just have to do it in the middle of the, of the situation that's going on. This is what it says in the text. Go back to our text in Genesis 23, verse 3, Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of sight. And so even in the midst of his grief, Abraham was having to deal with all the things that come with a loved one passing away and having to bury a loved one. And, but Abraham was still believing the promise of God that God had given him. So despite his sorrow, he was still believing it. Abraham was so sure that his descendants would possess the land that, he, that was promised to him. He said, I need to bury my bride here. I need this to be her final resting place where her body's gonna be because I believe God has given me the land even though I don't possess it yet. One commentator that I read, uh, uh, Bruggeman, says this, the legal action of a purchase was a full investment in a promise against the present circumstances. Hear what, so what he said? The legal action of a purchase was a full investment in a promise against the present circumstances. He didn't own the land. They hadn't possessed the land. His wife had died, but he said, I need to bury her here because this is going to be the land that I will possess one day. He believed the promises of God. Yes, his beloved was dead, but nonetheless, Sarah's entombed body in Hebron, the center of the land, was Abraham putting a stake down and going, I believe God, so this is where I'll bury my beloved. Abraham was able to see past his present circumstances. And many of us who have or are currently experiencing the death of a spouse, we know how difficult that is. It's hard to think. It's hard to breathe. It's hard to see tomorrow. Hebrews, again, tells us that Abraham looked forward. Even in this, he looked forward. Look what the text says. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking for a city. Now, if I uh, had a good southern gospel band, uh, we would sing that song, Looking for a City. Anybody know that song? Look! Looking for a city where we'll never die. Okay. Nope. I'll keep going then. For our citizenship, the scripture tells us, is in heaven, and we await a Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he said, hey, uh, and so Abraham was looking for a city that was to come, but we as Christians look for this city. That's, that's the song the Gaithers sing about, uh, that Vestal Goodman sings about. That I won't, I won't sing it again for you. Uh, but uh, she's looking for a city that we'll live in where we never die. And so the text and these truths uh, that are foundational uh, to living and surviving in the middle of a great loss and heartache. Let's, look, they're, they're given to us to help us live by faith. They're given to us uh, to help us look past this material world and to the eternal foundations and the promises given to us. By God. And so, and so let's keep going. The Hittites, who were the dominant group that were living here in Canaan at the time, they, they quickly answered Abraham. This is what they said. The Hittites answered Abraham and said, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. And so. Uh, the people who encountered Abraham, even though they were pagans, they didn't, they didn't believe in the God of Abraham. They didn't know this God of Abraham. They were, they were pagans. They had great respect for him. Respect. Say respect. You know, that's such a needed thing in our culture today. And so we see godless people who had great respect for Abraham and it's something we need today. Yeah, I would expect a lack of respect to come from someone who is not spirit-filled. Someone who doesn't have the Spirit of God that lives in them, I would expect them not to show a lot of respect necessarily to people around them or people they encounter. But those of us who are filled with the Spirit of God need to show respect to others around us need to exude something different out of us than maybe those around us who don't have the spirit of God in us. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 7, uh, 16 and 17. He says this, you'll know them by their fruits. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. That's kind of a summation of those two verses. He says, you'll know people who are part of the household of God. You'll know who people are Christians by the fruit, the things that comes out of them and that a healthy tree, a tree that should produce good fruit, cannot—not may not—but cannot produce bad fruit. And so, if there's bad fruit that's coming out of you, what does that tell you? That you're probably not connected to the vine. That you're not conne- that that you are that your, your roots are bad. They're not connected to the giver of life. And so, bad fruit comes out of those trees. Jesus said. You'll know them by their fruits. A healthy tree cannot look, cannot bear bad fruit. People should at least look at you uh, and listen to your conversations, or see our social media posts, or watch how you and I treat people, or observe your actions toward other people, and at least have an idea that you belong to Jesus. I mean, young people, you're you're a uh, Uh, your fellow students should be able to look at you in a school and go hey that person's a Christian. Not by just saying that I wear, not by wearing a cross around my neck or going to FCA or belonging to the student ministry at Refuge but by the way you live by the things you say by what you do your fellow students should do that should be able to look at you and see that if you're a Christian Adults Adults Our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our family should be able to look at us and go, by the way they live, by what they say, by the selfless way that they live, those people are clearly followers of Jesus. They're clearly filled with the Spirit. But if we don't see that in you, it's hard to say. We look back to Matthew and it says, they'll know them by their fruits. A healthy tree cannot produce bad fruit. So if there's bad fruit coming out of you, we've got to wonder, is the root connected? Even the pagans around Abraham were kind in offering a burial place to Abraham in his time of need. And honestly, they respected him because he was a man full of honor. Look what it says in verse 7. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me, uh, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give this cave... Uh, out of this place which he owns, it is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a a burying place. And Abraham basically said, thank you, You you're so kind. I appreciate this gesture which you've given me, but I can't just take it from you. I've got to pay you full price to be able to bury my dead. And then the text goes on and says this Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, all who went in at the gate of the city No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And so, out of respect, uh, this was his response. Oh my, he calls. He says, "Oh, my Lord!" And so he's showing a sign of respect to Abraham. He says, "I'm just going to give you my field. I- I'm going to give you the cave that is in my field. And-, and this is good, and this is right, and this is proper." And so bury your dead there. He was showing generosity and uh, generosity at the, at the death of a loved one. And, and so just as he was generous, we as, as, as God's people should be generous people. You should examine your life and go, am I being generous? Am I being willing to give up something of my own uh, for the sake of somebody else? I mean, we just, we just talked about that. I mean, my goodness, somebody's given me life. That's like the most selfless act that there is. Are we those kinds of people? Text goes on and says this, verse 12, Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land and he said to Ephron, the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field, accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. And Abraham replied, I can't take this for free. This is too much to receive from you for free. Please do this. Let me pay you uh, so that I may bury my wife there. And then the text goes on. Ephron answered to Abraham, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver according to the weights, current. Among the merchants, and so Ephron had said, "Hey, this is worth four hundred shekels of silver." And what we see from the text is that, regardless of what the actual value of the land was, Abraham looked at him, uh, or uh, Ephron looked at Abraham and said, "Hey, what's this between you and me? I mean, what is? What's a little bit of money between you and me?" There's no need for any exchange of money. I mean, we're friends. And I want to help you in your time of need. But nonetheless, Abraham was just like, hey, I'm going to pay you for this. I'm going to pay you for this land. And I saw this, this exchange kind of like whenever two friends go out for lunch. You ever been out with, with a friend for lunch and, and then what inevitably happens at the end of your lunch? What comes? The bill comes right? And then the whole banter starts, right? Hey, man, I got it. No, 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 I got it. No, man, it's my turn. It's my turn to get the meal. No, 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 you paid for it last time. No, seriously, let me pay for it. I'll expense it, you know, or whatever. Uh, (laughs) Nobody would do that. Uh, but, you know, you know, the banter that goes back and forth, I mean, we've all been in those kind of situations before where if somebody's offering to pay, and no, I'll pay, I'll pay, no, no, no. Uh, uh, but I was talking to my friend uh, this week, Bobby, he is, uh, he actually works over at Memorial Garden, uh, just a super kind, gentle man, and, and uh, he, um, uh, we were actually talking about this particular text. And he said, I love this text. Um, I love the thing about this passage. And, And the way he described it was really cool. He said, it's a beautiful, gentle, caring, and loving exchange between two friends in a time of trouble. A beautiful, gentle, caring, and loving exchange between friends in a time of trouble. Soft, giving, and generous. So, when you think about it that way, it's not like two friends battling over the ticket at lunch. It's like two friends knowing that there's some difficulty going on in somebody's life. And the other friend entering in, going, Man, I I recognize the grief you're in. Take this cave. Just take it. Use it however you want to. and, And, and then... Abraham going, I, I can't take this for free. This is too valuable of a thing. I, I'm burying my wife here. How, how can I take it for free? I, I need to pay you for this because this is valuable for me. And Ephraim going, seriously, my friend, you don't need to give me any money. You're in a deep time of sorrow. You, you go and worry about the things that you need to worry about. I'll take care of this. Abraham finally going, I, I, I hear what you're saying, bro. Uh, But I've got to do this. See that? That's how that text plays out. I like that. Your kindness is missing these days. Gentleness is missing these days. Care for our fellow sojourners is missing these days. In the middle of Abraham's grief, he chose to speak kindly, and so did those around him. As I've said here today and many times before, we are well acquainted with grief at refuge. Uh, We've experienced it to many varying degrees. Uh, Many of us have been at hospital bedsides uh, just waiting for the life to go out of our loved ones. Um, Today, someone might get that terrible call. Uh, that a close friend has suddenly died, or yet again, the news that we've got a relative that doesn't have long to live. And I I vividly remember my darkest day two and a half years ago as I watched um, the life of my wife just drain from her. Drew was with me. You know, you're sitting there with your son, and you're falling apart inside, as I'm sure Abraham was in this text. And You know, I just wanted to hear Jerry's voice one more time. I wanted to say so many things. I wanted her to be able to hug me one more time. And people say that death is normal, but it didn't feel normal in Orlando, Florida. I was very unprepared for what I was experiencing. And then our family had to make that gut-punching decision to uh, remove life support. And I had to think, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I would assume Abraham had to have the same feelings. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And death is dreadful. That death can be a good teacher for us. It forces us to think about our own lives, that our lives are a vapor, and that the world around us really has no ability to fulfill us. That there's nothing around us that we really long for in those moments other than the life of our loved one. Nothing else matters. Jesus again reminded us of this. He said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We don't care about those things when we talk about life. As it was with Abraham in time of bereavement and even in our own deaths are times to declare hope And just as Abraham bought the cave in hope or in this blessed assurance that the land would be his and a land for his offspring would be exactly what God had promised, so we have to declare our hope. Our hope of salvation is beyond this life. In times of death when our natural inclination is to to mourn as the world mourns, we have the opportunity to, dis- to declare that our faith makes a difference. That our faith is one in God's promise. And by faith, we have hope beyond the grave. Consider the promises of Colossians 3. Uh, this is what Paul wrote. He said, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died already. Our old selves have died. And you, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. So that when, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory that's setting our mind on things past this particular life. The way to experience abundant life today is to face the inescapable reality, That reality that it will come at some point to each of us in our tomorrows. Yet like Abraham, by faith, we invest in the promise. We invest in In the promise, Abraham still believed the promise of God that he would give the land to his offspring, and by burying Sarah there, he put feet to his belief. Today, you and I believe that the promise is true by giving generously of our possessions to other people, declaring the goodness of God to other people, laying up treasures in heaven rather than hoarding them for ourselves. And by doing this, we declare that we are heirs of the promise. And we want others to share in it. The promise of eternal life. The promise of the transforming power of the gospel. The promise that we belong to Jesus. The promise that we believe that there is hope. Even if our circumstances declare something else. How is this promise fulfilled? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to see how this is done. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is gospel proclamation for our lives, even in times of deep sorrow, like we know Abraham was declaring. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is what the scripture says. Verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain— For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. Here's what he delivered. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now skip down to verse 12 with me. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, how can even Christ have been raised? Verse 14, verse 14 is very important. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He says, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we're all wasting our time. I'm wasting my time being a preacher. You're wasting your time sitting here listening. If Christ is not raised from the dead, but he is, we are, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who are, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Verse nineteen: If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. Do you hear what he said? If this if this life is the only one that there is, we are to be pitied. skip with me to verse fifty. He goes on and says this I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This is the same thing that was happening for Sarah. The, the, the flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this is the this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing in the Lord that your labor is not in vain. He says that this is worth it, that we will be raised imperishable, that because when Sarah died, that this was not the end for her. When you and I die, it is not the end for us. That thanks be to God for his indescribable grace, that the labor that we are working for, the reason we preach the gospel, the reason we cajole you to be people, gospel people, is because your labor will not be in vain because other, you'll see other people come to know Jesus. Today in our text, we learned about the death of Sarah. And Sarah and we know, though, that death is not the end. Death for the saints, for those who have trusted in Jesus, like Sarah in our text, and like many of those who have preceded us in death, death is bittersweet. They are gone from us, but eternal victory is theirs. They are not here with us anymore. But the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. They have entered the joy of their salvation. But for those of you who don't know Jesus, death brings no sweetness, death brings no hope. If you die without Jesus, death is damnable, death is dooming, death is dreadful. The scripture describes it as there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those of you who die in your sins without being a Christian, without being a follower of Jesus, without having your heart renewed. The scripture says that there will be weeping for eternity, gnashing of teeth, which means you'll be grinding your teeth for eternity because you will be facing the wrath of God rather than experiencing the love of God for eternity. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loves you and me, even while you, some of you sitting in this room, some of you listening to me online, even while some of you are dead in your trespasses and sins, Jesus can make you alive today. There's hope for you today. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, that God made a way. Christ Jesus died as a ransom for many where God provided the lamb. A payment for many. The scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And what that means is, is that it took the precious blood of Jesus to satisfy the wrath of God against sinful people like you and me. Same thing for Abraham, same thing for Sarah, same thing for you and me. It took the precious blood of Jesus to satisfy the wrath of God against each of us. And so the way that we get that benefit is to turn to Jesus so that in our death, you won't have to pay for your sins because Jesus did. How do you do that? You repent of your sins. You say, I recognize that I sin against God I recognize that in my own state, that in my own life, that I am dependent on the righteousness of somebody else because my good will not outweigh my bad because that's not how the scales work. You've got to be perfect, and none of you are. And you recognize that you need someone in your place, the perfect substitute in your place, and that was Jesus. Jesus came and lived a life like you and me, yet he did it without sin. Scripture said then he was crucified on a cross. The Lamb of God poured out his blood to cover your sin debt. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The scripture says when we put our faith and trust in his sinless life, in his atoning sacrifice, in his resurrected body. Scripture says you will be saved. And you get all of Jesus' righteousness, and he took all your sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's why we can revel even in the death of saints like Sarah and like many of others that we know that have gone on before us. That we can revel in the fact that they are absent from the body and present with the Lord because they put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Some of you need to do that today. And we're gonna give you that opportunity right now after I pray. You pray with me.